Y'all remember? A hurdle that stood in the way of Boaz redeeming Ruth, taking her as his wife. The hurdle was the other redeemer. The other redeemer who was closer than Boaz. And this nameless redeemer had the first right of redemption. He stood in the way. And so Boaz told Ruth, if this other redeemer will not redeem you, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he will not redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So we saw uh, Boaz deal with this hurdle. We saw him come face to face with the other redeemer. We saw that he did not rest. He called the elders of the city together. He met with the other redeemer and gave him opportunity to take his right of redemption. But he did not. He passed it on to Boaz. He told Boaz, take my right of redemption for yourself. And that phrase and those words spoken by this other redeemer began the final thing that held down a spot on the life of Naomi and Ruth, and that was fullness. Fullness, both present and future fullness. So pray with and for me. Father, guys, we come to your truth. It's your truth. This is not an opinion. This is not words of man, but it's the words from the mouth of our Father who is creator of heaven and earth. It's your truth. And we all need your truth. I need it. Lord knows I do. And so I pray that your spirit, by his power, apply it to my heart and apply it to the hearts of everyone here this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Fullness, both present and future. This is what Ruth and Naomi was getting ready to experience. And it began when the other redeemer gave up his right of redemption. I can't redeem it for myself, he told Boaz. Take my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. So the other redeemer, he verbally gave Boaz the right to redeem. But things wasn't fully valid yet. There was a process that they had to go through to make everything valid. You see, in verses 7 and 8, the author gives us some background information about what took place. He said, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction the one threw off his sandal and threw it to the other. This was a matter of attesting in Israel. Former times, a custom, what does that mean? It's, it's referring to a cultural regulation that was in place at some point in the history of Israel. And this practice dealt with matters of redeeming and exchanging. As one author calls it, it's a process of ratification, which means it's a process that has to go through to make something valid. Just because the Redeemer said, you can take it, my right of redemption, didn't make it valid. They had to go through a process to confirm it. So he threw off his sandal, gave it to Boaz. And so Boaz got the right of redemption. He could redeem Ruth. This made everything valid. It confirmed it. You see, Boaz knew of this process when he told Ruth he would redeem her. Remember the conversation they had? He knew even when he told her, I want to redeem you, I want to do all that you say, he knew there was a process that he had to go through in order for that to be true. 
There was no other way around it. He had to go through the process. He needed the other redeemer to give up his right of redemption, or otherwise there would be no him and Ruth. He would not be able to redeem her. He had to go through the sandal process, so to speak. So you say, what's your point, Alex? Here's my point. Let's say you are looking to buy a house or to a new apartment, a new apartment. So one day you're driving around looking for houses. You see the perfect home. And so your general prayers about a home become a little more specific because you see this particular house that you want. And so you pray to the Lord for this particular house. Lord, I want this house. I want this apartment. So you're praying and praying, and then over time you get a, a sense of peace come over you about this particular house. You're convinced that this house, this is the house the Lord wants me to have. And so one day, you run a U-Haul, pick up your stuff, pack it all up, go to this house, take out the for sale sound, sign out of the yard, and you move in. Now, is that the process? Is that how it works? Is it your house just because now you have peace about it and you're going to move in? Is that the process? No, you still got to get a loan. <laughs> you got to talk to the landlord or a real estate agent. You can't go around the process just because you prayed about it and got peace about it. <laughs> there's a process. You want to get your driver's license, right? But there's a process you got to go through to get them. You want to adopt the child. You just can't pick up any kid off the street and say, I'm going to adopt them. <laughs> there's a process. That's in place. Boaz wanted to marry Ruth. There was a process he had to go through. And here's the thing. The Lord often works through some of the cultural processes that we have in place. And you might not believe it, but it's true. He sometimes works through those processes to advance his kingdom and to advance his purposes in your life. He does. Even when it comes to to him bringing fullness into your life. There's a process that he has in place. Listen to what one Christian says about this. He says, part of the message of the book of Ruth is that God operates on a different kind of calculus, a new math in which the way to fullness is through emptiness. God operates on a new math. The way to fullness is through I don't like that, but I think it's true. And that's the process that Naomi and Ruth has been on since we started this book, going from emptiness to fullness. Since they lost their husbands, they've been on the process of being full, being made full. Ruth said it herself when she returned to Bethlehem. What did she say? I went away full, I came back empty. But ever since Ruth ran into Boaz, their emptiness was starting to become full. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't by accident that Ruth made her way to Boaz's field. The Lord guided her steps all the way. We already talked about that. And when she met Boaz, well, what happened? He provided for them food. That's the process of being filled started. Provision for food. And here, in these words, 
that's spoken by the other Redeemer. And Boaz's right of, of redemption is going to continue to bring us to the final piece of their fullness. In verses 9 and 10, he called all the elders together and the people. He said, you are witnesses this day to this transaction. Twice he told them that. One Christian said the people and the elders, they, they notarized the transaction, basically. Like if I, some things we do got to get notarized by witnesses. That's the purpose that this crowd served for this transaction. So now the other redeemer cannot come back in the future and try to make certain claims. Everything is final. Boaz is free now to redeem Ruth. And you know what? He didn't waste any time with it. He exercised his right of redemption immediately. It won't, I'm going to go ahead and, and redeem from, Ruth, from Naomi the land and the houses and goods, all that belong to her husband. I'm going to go ahead and redeem these items. But in verse 10, we get to the heart of the matter for him. You see, the land and the property, that was just extra. But what he really, really wanted was the woman. The transaction, the translation we have in, in, in verse 10 it doesn't place enough emphasis on Boaz's point here. You see, one Christian says he separates the transaction from Ruth and the land intentionally. Distinguishing the redemption of the wife from that of the land. And a good, a better translation would be, and more importantly, Ruth and Moabitess. And more importantly, Ruth, I'm going to take to be my wife. Because she's more important to him than the land. He was what she was fighting for. And now he won the fight. He's going to take her to be his wife. And so by doing that, he fulfilled the vow that he spoke to her. He told her, if this man would not redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will do it. And he's going to do it. Notice here that, that these words spoken by Boaz also fulfilled, answered Naomi's prayer for Ruth. What was her prayer for Ruth at the beginning of the book? That you would find rest in the house of a new husband. Answered. What was Boaz's prayer for, for Ruth? May the Lord repay you for all that you've done. May he give you a full reward for all the goodness you have shown to your mother-in-law. It's taking place here. He's blessing her. He's fulfilling her. He's giving her a reward. And to be honest, she was getting ready to receive much more than just being a new wife. You know what that could be? She was getting ready to experience something she's never experienced before. What do you think that is? She was barren up to this point. A mother. That's receiving much more than she thought she was going to get. See, the Lord, Boaz says, I have brought Ruth to be, to be my wife. And he, he said he's going to preserve the family line from extinction. And so that, in order for that to happen, she had to bear him some kids. Because <laughs> remember, Naomi's family line died when her two sons died. The line was cut off. And so the only way it was going to continue was going to be through Ruth. And so that means the Lord was going to have to move in order for that to happen. Needed him to move again. Because if they could see the family line would continue, the family line would be preserved. And that, people, is... Emptiness turning more and more into fullness for this couple. And in verses 13 
and 17, we see the present fullness complete. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore him a son. Fullness. Receiving more than what she thought she deserved. A wife and now a mother. And not only that, she's a believer in Yahweh. Much more than what she probably deserved. Let us not forget about Naomi in all this process. But she needs to be full as well. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. For he shall be your restorer of life, a nurture of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. When we started looking at the book of Ruth, we started with those words. I don't know if you remember that. We started with that passage because I wanted to show you her present situation. But she went through stuff to get to there. She went through emptiness to get to there. It just wasn't given to her on a silver platter. She went through sufferings and trials and emptiness that brought her to the verses in 14 through 17. It just didn't fall in her lap. She went from fullness that runs through emptiness. If you're empty this morning, and some of you may be, then you got to know that's not abnormal. That's the norm. It's part of the journey. But you also got to know that your Lord will shepherd you through those things. He will shepherd you through that process. That's what you should see when you read this chapter. It's not about how good they did. It's like, man, look how God has sustained them. Look how he shepherded them. Look how he was faithful to them. Do you see that? When you read this book, do you see the hands of Yahweh at work? And that's how he works in your life too. Even when you don't think he's there, he's there. Can he bring fullness to your life? Do you believe it? You have to believe it. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus was empty on the cross for you. So that you could be made full. That's where you start. Knowing him. Being in a relationship with him. As we just sung, God is faithful. God is strong. God is forever with you. Before the throne of God above, you have a word, a strong and perfect plea. Who is it? My great high priest, whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for you, your name is engraven on his hand. Do you believe it? Your name is written on his heart. How will he not bring fullness into your life? How will he not deliver you from what you're going through? How will he not? He will shepherd you. Just as he shepherded Naomi and Ruth through their emptiness, and brought them to fullness. Not just a present fullness, but a future fullness that extended beyond just them. 
You see, when when Boaz got the right of redemption, the people that was there, they, they made it, they prayed for Boaz and for Ruth. And all those prayers they offered up were for future blessings that were going to come over their life. The first one says, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. That's speaking future blessings over them. And who in the world is Rachel and Leah? If you know anything about Old Testament history, Rachel and Leah were two sisters who were married to Jacob. And through childbearing, they built up the house of Israel. Now, I also know they ain't do a lot of right things in that process either. (laughs) But the focus is the Lord used them in spite of them. And so underneath that prayer is in spite of Ruth, would the Lord still use her, just as he used them. You see, because those two women were barren as well until the Lord blessed them to have children. So this, these, these elders and these people wanted the Lord to, to use the kids that come from Boaz and Ruth to build up the house of Israel. So that's extending. This is the prayer for beyond them. The next prayer is for future man. The next prayer is for future blessings for Boaz, that he would continue to be a worthy man a worthy husband and father, that his, that his name would be renowned in his hometown. And finally, the prayers for future blessings for their household. They were a prayer for their descendants. I hope you can see what these prayers for these witnesses are talking about. These prayers are highlighting another important theme in the book of Ruth, and it's this. One Christian said, this is just not a story of God's covenant faithfulness to these two women, but his covenant faithfulness to the nation of Israel, to the people of Israel. The author wanted his readers to know that the Lord was putting into place something they needed long before they cried out for it in the book of Samuel. You know what they cried out for in the book of Samuel? A king. And this author is showing him, long before you cried out for it, the Lord was working to have a king after his home heart in place. That's what you see here. That's the future blessing. That's why the author is connecting this to King David. To show you that King David just wasn't by accident. That in the times of the judges, when there was no king, Yahweh was making for you to have a king after his own heart. And so you got to know in your life that when you're going through stuff, you don't know how the Lord's going to use it. But he will use it for your fullness, not just for you, but for your family down the road. Boaz, who was his parents? Who was his mother? Rahab the prostitute. And his father came from the line of Judah. So Boaz is in that family line, the kingly line for the nation of Israel. And that's the tribe of Judah. And who else is in that line? When you read Matthew 1, who else is in that line? King Jesus. This is connected to more than just David. It's King Jesus, the one true king. None of this stuff is by accident, people. None of this stuff. Your life. What you go through, what you suffer, what you lose, is not all accident. The Lord is working something that's bigger and greater than you. 
You have to realize long before you started praying about what you need, the Lord has already been working on your behalf before before the words even came out of your mouth. That goes back to what the passage that Roy read in in Ephesians 1. Long before you prayed about it, centuries before you were born, the Lord was working on your behalf. That's love. That doesn't motivate you. Nothing will. Psalm 139 says, You see, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book was written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when yet none of them existed. They were there. And so if you're empty this morning, know the Lord will bring fullness, both present and future. We don't know how he's going to use it, but his word says he will work all things to the good of those who love him. Fullness does run through emptiness. Please pray for me. Let's pray. Father, I can bear witness to this. I've seen it in my own life. There was a time when, I mean, there was a possibility I wouldn't even be standing here. And Waikita can testify to that. There was a time when I questioned my call. There was a time when I came came out of seminary. I was pursuing another job, another career, another calling. Because I was at that point when I didn't think this is what you wanted me to do. But I realized, looking back, I had to go through those things. And you wanted me to go through those things to make me a better pastor, a better husband, a better father. I know what emptiness is like. And I also know what fullness is like when you bring us out of it. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone here who is empty, that, Lord, you remind them of your faithfulness. I pray for those here who don't know you, who don't have a relationship with you, that they got to get right with Jesus and that your spirit at this moment will convict them of their need for a Savior. And they will see him and receive him as their Savior. I pray for those who have known you for years and who are struggling, doubting your care for them, that they would know that they are not forgotten, they are not abandoned, that you are forever faithful, you are forever a good shepherd, And you will work all things to the good of those who love you. And I pray for this in your son's magnificent name. Amen.